Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome back, friends, to another edition of Disciple Making. I'm Tim Beadle with my friend Darren Wright, and today we're going to sort of look back but look forward because uh, we're still working through uh, Damien Girk's book, In the Way, The Church as We Know It. It can be a disciple-making movement, but we want to now concentrate on uh, how the church, the body of Christ, actually engages people from the outside in. Uh, and someone has said, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That's that's an African proverb. And we're going to really talk about the journey of, of how we uh, obey Jesus in disciple-making as uh, a church as we relate to people. Darren, you're going to lead us through this one. So so I'm going to lob it over to you, and uh, let's get going in this. Sure. Yeah, just we'll, we'll pull back again a little more and just say, you know, we're looking at the, the section two in the book, which is on contrast between legacy church and disciple-making movements. And we looked at sort of a contrast under who the church is, what the church does, yeah. how the church is led and developed. And now we're in the fourth section, which is how the church engages with people. And then there's a heads up down the road, how people engage with the church would be the next yeah. the next section. So where we are today is, is this one about um, how the church engages with people. And the way it's framed up is it has to do with invitation. What are we actually inviting people to? Yeah. Yeah. And the contrast here, and Tim, we were talking before we started recording how yeah. These are a little harder to understand, maybe a little more abstract than some of the others. So we'll wrestle through, make sure we can be clear. We're inviting people in, in the legacy model. It's it's an appeal, like an attractional consumeristic appeal, whereas in disciple-making movements, it's a call to be disciples yeah. and make disciples, to follow Jesus, to join him on mission. That's the that's my understanding of the contrast here. Yeah. What, what are you seeing, Tim? Yeah, I, I would so t- totally concur with you. And really, it, it comes to um, an understanding by, by church leadership staff, as it were, in terms of sometimes what the end goal is and how we relate to people. Obviously, you know, we, we all have the the Great Commission sort of plastered somewhere on our bulletin or our lobby wall about going and making disciples. But uh, I think a lot of uh, ministries that I have observed over the last 30 years of my ministry it's really more about uh, sort of an appeal to get people to come to Jesus, which is totally biblical. Mm-hmm. But it seems as though uh, we feel the goal is once we get them across the line of salvation, then our work is done. Hmm. Whereas when we read scripture, really, it's only a beginning. Yeah. No, and and even sometimes, Tim, unfortunately, the line is even further back where where we're trying to attract people to church and to get them to come to church. Right. <laughs> and we th- in a way, that's almost the finish line in some case. And that leads yeah. us to a, you know, and I'm, I'm all for marketing as you know, I'm into marketing. I love marketing. Yeah. But if we, if we do it from a consumeristic marketing approach where we attract people to a quote, a church and we provide services to them and their consumers and we're more like a business that yeah. doesn't necessarily move us down the path towards being disciples and make disciples. No, exactly. And and in the past, terms like seeker sensitive and things like that really talk and spoke about the posture the church was getting that it could be attractional or appealing uh, because a lot of people, they don't really get church anymore. We're sort of not, uh, well, someone says we're in a post-Christian uh, 
uh, culture. I actually think we're in a pre-Christian culture mm. because the, the day of the traditional church seems passé, yeah, especially with the younger generations. Uh, and so uh, we almost have to define what church is. And unfortunately, uh, what we're doing is we're appealing people to come and join us uh, in who we are, become like us. And those, mm. uh, you know, homogeneity, those of a birds of a feather flock together. And if we can sort of uh, uh, position ourselves in such a way, we'll attract more and more people. And that's the basis on the success of our ministry. Well, yeah. And, and again, if we start with the attractional model, you know, if, if we're attracting people to a show of some kind or good speaking, I, and again, I have nothing wrong with good speaking, no. good music or no. attractive facility at all, right? But but if we, if if that's what we, you know, what you win them with is what you win them to. Exactly. And if we win them with a show, we've won them to a show. And, 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 and Damien kind of crystallizes it this way. When you do that, the church must continue to expend a great deal of energy and money simply to maintain the appeal. Right. Yeah. And I, I've seen the most this most dramatically. I mean, it's true in the larger church. I've seen it with some youth movements, actually. Yeah where there's these massive youth programs that have a great budget and great staff, and they are just a big party. Yeah. And man, it's hard to keep up in the ante every yeah. week. And, and, but that's what people are attracted to. And we see something similar on the church level. Yeah. Uh, in terms of all the money and time we invest in sort of worship uh, and, and even during COVID when churches weren't meeting in person, all, all the effort went into putting on the production to keep people connected mm. to the church uh, and hopefully now that COVID is waning, uh, you know, they will come back and we'll get back to how we used to connect in community. However, when you look at the teaching of Jesus, uh, Darren, um, you know, he has sort of had this very high level standard where it was okay if people sort of even were offended with what he said. You know, on one occasion, mm. you know, he was talking about, um, you know, the, being the bread of life. And then, and then he went a little deeper and said, you know, unless you eat by flesh and drink by blood, and people are going, getting grossed out. He said, what's this? Yeah. And, and they turned their back on him. And he was okay with that because mm. his his um, focus wasn't just on appealing to the masses. Uh, I think uh, they came just because when he spoke, mm. he spoke with authority, like unlike they had ever heard. But he didn't want to leave them there. He actually wanted to place a calling on their lives. A calling. Yeah, and that's how he started. Like that, that's where it started, right? Follow me. You know, there's a come and see and all that, but there, you know, pretty quickly it was a follow me, you know, an all-in commitment. And the problem with the with the appeal model, the attractional model is if if we if we get people to come to a a very passive kind of consumeristic thing, even we may have even at that point, we may have in our mind that we want to make disciples. Then we have yeah. to somehow switch gears yeah. and move them from that mode into the place of calling. And here's a sentence that really struck me, Tim. This creates a subtle but awkward tension between appealing to them as customers and yeah. challenging them to submit to God's calling for their lives. Yep. So that, that really is the challenge. If we if we focus on an attractional model with a low challenge at the front end. Yeah, boy, it can be really tough to get people to shift gears and then move into disciple making. Yeah, it almost feels like a bait and switch. What you just said, in terms of we we want to attract you, we want to appeal to you, but then when you really find out what we're all about, it's actually you know Jesus said if you if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me, and that that feels different than you know, come come. We have services for you, and you have to just sort of. Uh, 
we want to appeal and we want to offer all this thing. And the church that offers the most seems to get the most results. So totally different than the biblical model of calling. Oh yeah. What I find him as I'm, as I'm learning about disciple making and disciple making movements, it is so different. Uh, it, it almost seems, you know, the high bar, the high challenge, the willingness to let people walk away. It yeah. seems so unpastoral. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's so different than a lot of pastor churches that do whatever they can do whatever we can to keep people. Uh, you know, I put myself in that category very, whereas Jesus was like, you know, people left after they eat my flesh, drink my blood statement. People start leaving, yeah. turns to his disciples and you guys want to leave too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, he was, he, he was really pretty clearly. He was seeking to make a, a core of disciples to carry on his ministry. Yeah. That was what drove him. And that explains those kind of moments in his ministry. Yeah, and I think uh, the neat thing is, is that when Jesus turned to his disciples, his followers, and said, are you going to leave too? Uh, their interest, uh, it was interesting to, to, to hear their response, like, well, where else would we go? You see, they, they had a calling on their life at that point. And so they, they had made that transformation about just um, sort of a vague association, being enamored. Here's one, oh, look at those miracles. But now they realize when he called them in Matthew 4 and said, not not only follow me, but I want to make you into something. Uh, He Hmm. placed the calling. And I just wonder today, Darren, in your view, uh, in the average church, uh, uh, to what extent is is there a sense of perceived calling of uh, purpose and commission on people's life? (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, some churches do. I think it, it varies church to church. Yeah. And there are some churches that really have a sense of mission. The way they're going about the mission, we may we may question that, but I think there's some good motives there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just I just spoke in a, in a church here on the five commitments of a disciple maker, sharing some of the things I've learned. You know, one of them was to accept the Great Commission as your mission. But, yeah. but then I had to unpack that a bit because most Christians in an evangelical church say, oh yeah, great commission. It's, it's great. Yeah. I, I'm all for that. I will even support it. Yeah. But what I had to explain was, was really one of the big differences between legacy church and disciple making movements is this means that that becomes the shaping factor of your life. Yeah. That that isn't a segment of your life or a category of your life. That is your life and everything else fits in under that and serves that purpose. And there's a yeah. big difference. Yeah. This, this actually ends up defining me and you and us. Yeah, and when you think of all the things that we do associated with the church in terms of ministry, all the different hats that we wear, the mm-hmm. primary hat that we wear in regard to our relationship with Jesus, obviously he, he's, he's our Lord, is that of a disciple, a follower and a disciple maker. Mm-hmm. On top of that uh, comes maybe the, the worship team or the Sunday school or the youth or the small group leader. But, but our, our original identity with Jesus is that of followership of disciple discipleship uh, that we really live our life as if, as if Jesus were living his life through us and because of that uh, uh, that's a call on our life uh, this weekend I'm, I'm preaching um, basically where it says well you've heard it heard you know, love your neighbor hate your enemy but I say mm-hmm. <laughs> love your enemies and like this is getting pretty tough uh, <laughs> and, and this is that we have a lot of enemies but uh, when we consider the fact that uh, this comes back to God's purpose, his calling. Uh, in, in Romans, it talks about that actually God considered us his enemies, and that's why he sent Jesus to do something about it. Uh, that's a sense of calling, a sense of commission. And that's what he entrusts to us as well, not just to hang around with the crowd, 
and, and that's why that scary verse in scripture, you know, I say on that day, uh, many of you will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and this and this? Yeah. Uh, he says, I never knew you, you know, go away. And, and and that's because perhaps they got up in an appeal and the appealing nature of hanging out with Jesus, hmm. uh, as opposed to really embracing the call on our lives, the call oh, on our yeah. lives. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it, there's a difference, isn't there, between, between, you know, passive intellectual assent and, and joining in mission relation with Jesus in a calling. Yeah. It's really like night and day. They're, they're, they're two different things. And, you know, where this, where this tension is hitting me a little bit, Tim, is this idea, again, that Jesus was let, willing to let people walk away. Yeah. yeah. And tied to that, he was willing, and I see this in disciple-making movements and, and some, some of my mentors as well, willing to spend time with the few yeah. as opposed to with the many. You know, that spending time with people who are ready to grow. Yeah. As opposed to people who just want nothing to do, you know, you still again love them and pray for them, but spending time with people who want to move ahead again that seems counter pastoral, almost counter Christian in a way uh, to what we're used to, where it's everybody, you know, we love everybody, we care for yeah. everybody, but when the cause is making disciples, if that's the call, that's right. well, then it calls for focus. Yeah, and, and that's it calls why for the few. That's why in the three years of Jesus' ministry, like after he related to them for the first half, then he called them. He put a calling on their life. And uh, his goal was to create a disciple-making movement of followers, not sort of uh, just check off on the attendance sheet, how many people turned up for, for the next miracle type of thing. Very intentional. And if you read his life, uh, that's why he spent most of his time with the 12 and, and uh, even further just with this, the smaller group within that. And it almost seemed like those were his favorites. And he didn't apologize about that because his intention was to create a calling on their lives that would extend beyond themselves to not only the salvation of the earth through what he was going to do, but the mm-hmm. development of a disciple-making culture that would ultimately lead to where we are today in terms yeah. of uh, the gospel has touched us. Mm. Yeah. You know, you know I, I've been wondering as we've been talking about this, Tim, and we have, we have referenced this idea in the past, like how would you right now, and again, a lot of us find ourselves in churches that were or are somewhat explicitly attractional. Yeah. You know, that the, the primary, quote, marketing or, or, or impetus life of the church is to get people to come to church on Sunday. How can we leverage that reality or how can we adjust that reality to move towards disciple making, to yeah. move people from the, the appeal to the call? What, what would be some steps a pastor could take if they find themselves there? Yeah, well, firstly, admission that we've missed the mark. And, and, and that, that's a very humbling one because most of our attractional model is based on the fact that we want to attract people to the church and we say, yeah, to Christ. And that that's true. But to the extent we're allowed people to walk away uh, really exposes if we have never really uh, consciously, prayerfully uh, developed something to call them to rather than just to attract them to. So I think that the first thing is uh, no, don't stop ministries or, or close the door every other Sunday. But just go back and really come back to the basics of what has Jesus called us personally to in Scripture. And as pastors, uh, unfortunately, many are so busy in ministry uh, in the church that they don't have a track record of making disciples and make disciples. This was the revelation that, that, that came to me like six or seven years ago. And I looked at the, uh, the um, track record of my life. And uh, it looked like a spiritual telephone pole, like a mm. telephone pole is a tree. 
but that tree will never reproduce. It'll never bear fruit because I was so ingrained in uh, church as we know it. <laughs> That's mm. what this, the legacy church. And that was a major monumental shift. Uh, but it has to start with a leader. Uh, this isn't sort of some, uh, okay, let's try this. Because when you say, well, let's try this, that's just another mechanism for appeal rather than going right back. What have we been called to after we've been called to Jesus? Hmm. What has he commissioned us to do? What has he commanded us to obey? I believe that's the starting point. Yeah. And I think, again, if I, I, I'm not in, in a pastoral role in what I quote a regular church right now, I, I do speaking and I help churches in transition. We've got our own, our own, yeah. our own disciple making ministry. But I think in a regular church context, you still need to maintain what, what yep. is happening in some level. I would say yeah. as a leader to reallocate some of your resources then to working with a few. Yeah, finding exactly. those people who are willing to rise to the occasion and be disciples and make disciples and spending time. Now, whether that would be your, in some cases, your elders or staff yeah. or some of those people or a separate group of people, and then start working there and yeah. start, you know, transmitting this, this sense of call and what it means to that group there. And I think that's, that's really where it starts. We like the big mass production, you know, change everything all at once, but I don't think that's the way it works in disciple making. No, it isn't. And it's also, you have to realize that the change culture in a church takes a long time, could take, take years. I've yeah. been in my current uh, church environment for over two years. And just now, even though uh, many times I've planted seeds with the current staff, just now we're finally at the point where we're agreeing that we have to create discipling pathways that will result in multiplication and reproduction. This was the giant revelation this past week. We all knew it, but now we declared it. And when we aligned all the things that we were doing in the church, mm. there is actually nothing intentional under those areas of multiplication or reproduction in terms of discipling, disciple making, nothing at all. And this would mm. be perceived as a very successful church. Yeah. Well, well again, uh, commend you and the yeah. staff and leadership for having the courage to make that observation. <laughs> You know, yeah. really, that that's the first step, defining reality, right? First job a leader, yeah. define exactly. reality, know where you are, so you know, you know, know where to go from there. I, I shared recently in that that talk I gave on the five commitments of disciple yeah. maker how, you know, as a pastor, I was, you know, I had a bit of a preoccupation towards evangelism and making converts. Yeah. yeah. And then realized that I'm called to actually make disciples. That's right. Not even being able to define what a disciple was, much less define how to make a disciple. And I had to come to the conclusion that I didn't have a clue I wasn't even in the game. That's right. And that was hard. That's hard when you've been to Bible, so you've been a pastor for X number of years to say, you know what? I have in some big ways been falling short of what my calling as a Christian is, not only as a pastor, and something here needs to change. Yeah, and it wasn't because you were sort of lazy and just sort of going with the flow. Like You've been a committed leader and pastor for years here, and the same thing happened to me. I just had coffee with a fellow this morning. Uh, he's older than I am, and and we had we we uh, we had this discussion again. Is that uh, those who come into the church? What is the example that they are following in the leadership? Uh, where are we leading them? What calling would be perceived upon our lives that the Holy Spirit could use to challenge? Mm. But uh, the the bar is very low. The bar is very low. Uh, basically, we're just trying to get people to come back, and if they aren't there on Sunday, we maybe in a couple of weeks try to figure out where they are. Uh, but we're not calling them to anything, and that's why they walk away, because I don't think the bar is high enough, not to exclude them, but to challenge them and really show them who Jesus is. And maybe that's someone calling right now asking us, how do I do this? And, and actually, I, I would just use that as a springboard. 
if you are a leader in the church and you aren't consciously and under conviction to follow Jesus to the point that someone else, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, Mm. then I would suggest uh, based on scripture and the call of Christ, and also just a study that we're going through, which is really fascinating. Are we just trying to get them and point them towards Jesus and then leave them there? Or are we walking with them mm. so that when they cross the line of salvation, then that the, 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 the journey is just begun in terms of becoming a disciple maker? Yeah. You know, and I think in a world, Tim, sometimes we might be scared to have the high challenge because yes, some will walk away, but really in a world that is so um, wishy-washy and relativistic and lacking conviction so many ways, there is an appeal, I think, for people. And I would say maybe our younger people in particular for a true challenge, a true sense of purpose and meaning. And uh, if we are not being clear with the call of what it means to follow Jesus, to be disciples, to make disciples, we are, yes, we're not fulfilling our calling, but we're really letting them down and we're missing out on some who would, I think, jump in if we went that way. Yeah, I I sort of joked inside when your phone rang there a little bit ago because I I, I use an illustration of, uh, can you imagine going home from church this coming Sunday and uh, uh, someone has phoned you and left a message on your phone and and the first message is... um, it's actually from the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, uh, Trudeau. He's, he's going to be me- meeting with all the uh, uh, premiers and health ministers to try to ratify a new economic model for the healthcare system in Canada. And, and Trudeau is there saying, Darren or Tim, I want you to help me do this. And we would say, why would you call me? I'm totally unqualified. And then you see that the, there's another message there as well. And it's the head. It's the head of the uh, of NATO saying, "Okay, we we need your help to help us figure out how to solve this crisis in the Ukraine." And he said, "Like, why would you call me? I'm totally unqualified." Well, most most people, when they're considered with the call to make disciples, they'll say, "Exact, why would you call me, Jesus? I'm totally unqualified." And uh, this is the beauty. That, that Jesus doesn't ask you to become qualified before you follow him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he calls, he calls us uh, and he knows that we don't know how to do this, but he says simply follow me, yeah. follow me. It isn't that he calls the qualified, he qualifies the called. Amen. And if we can understand that, then uh, when you go home today, the next time you see that uh, light blinking on your phone, uh, there is friends. There's a calling on our lives, mm. and and uh, perhaps for the first time you've really realized that by listening to this podcast, or open up your scriptures again and just see how Jesus makes demands and commands on his followers to obey and trust. Mm-hmm. It's because he has something far greater than than we've settled for in the church. Oh, that's so good, Tom. It's a great great landing space. Yeah, I would I I, I phrase it this way sometimes that what he calls us. To he equips us for yeah that's right. that we may we may as pastors not feel like we are quote qualified to be yeah. disciples and make disciples or move from a purely attractional model to a challenge model, yeah. but if it is part of following Jesus, which it is, he will indeed equip us. He'll give us creativity and wisdom and much needed courage to do that. That's right. So tighten your belts and uh, get ready for this ride because uh, in, in the coming weeks we'll consider more about like how the church in these days engages with people. I, I think we did a half decent job at delineating today between, you know, a church that simply settles on appealing for people to come uh, versus the call that's on our life to, to uh, mm. not only equip and, and lead them beyond that as well. So 
I think that's where we'll end the the, the, the plane today. Uh, Darren, it's been good again joining with you. And I'm Tim Beadle, Darren Ride. On this journey, this challenge, this call of becoming disciple makers of Jesus. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or ChristFollowerDNA.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.